I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Amy. How are you? Well, I'm so happy to be talking with you because we're talking a day later than we normally do. And because life. Right. And we we think it's okay. You know, it's never okay with us to be late for sure. We're so committed to this project and we absolutely love this podcast so much. But we were thinking, you know what? We wouldn't want our listeners to be killing themselves in order to accomplish something that wasn't life or death. And so we thought we'll do it when there's space. We had some space yesterday. That was our regular recording day. And then we had um, technology difficulties. And now here we are. So the podcast is being released a day later, um, but it's still wonderful that we get the opportunity to to talk with everyone. Yeah. Our own lesson in self-compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Forgiving ourselves. and, And now we're here together. So where do I find you tonight, body, mind, and heart? Because of our time difference, you're night, and I'm just before dinner time. So it's five o'clock where I am in Vancouver. It's been very warm, but the weather has just slightly changed. And I'm hoping it's not already fall because I'm not quite ready for that. So my body finds me at the end of a very full day. It's one of those days where, and we were speaking about this, you know, sometimes Friday feels just so much more uplifting than maybe the beginning of the week. And that's something that I always think that I can work on is just thinking a little bit differently about how much pressure I feel the the beginning of the week and then how I end up feeling better and better as the week goes on. But this day was a day where I felt like I was really living my dharma. Yes, this is my business, practicing yoga therapy and working privately with clients. The more I'm just so grateful to have been introduced to this modality because it's so powerful. There's so many tools that we can offer clients that move right into the multidimensional layers of who we are. You know, there's breath techniques for our energy, our our prana, our life force. There's movement techniques to make our bodies feel better. There's tools for the mind to soothe its anxiousness and help us to see clearly. And then when we move through that, we can open the heart and ultimately just feel this sense of contentment because we're alive. And I absolutely love sharing all that is this vast modality of yoga therapy with other people. And there's, I've just spent a lot of time with a lot of clients the last couple of days. So I do feel just so filled up right now. 
So I guess that's where I am with my heart and my mind. I feel incredibly grateful. And then in times when I feel this way, I feel very in the flow. I feel a lot of ideas. I feel super creative. And I think it's because of my pit of nature. When I feel really inspired in my mind, I feel very excited in my body. So it, it's a good evening for me. And after we we finish recording, I'll have dinner with my husband and my 17-year-old is home tonight. And I mentioned it's a little bit cloudy, so it's cozy, feeling feeling good overall. And how about you, my friend? Body, mind, heart, where do I find you? So it is later here. We have a big time difference. Um, so it's getting close to bedtime where I am. And I have had, as you have, a very full week with family and with the studio and working on new projects around the studio and seeing clients there. And I totally agree with that. When you're in the flow, when you're doing your dharma, that it seems like you could accomplish a thousand things in a day and feel energized. And I found myself very in the flow on some days this week. And then I had the conversation with with one of the meditation teachers at the studio. I just need 10 more hours today. Like I just need 10 more hours and that would be helpful. And of course we know there's not 10 more hours in a day that we can access if the day only has 24. And so tapping into that compassion for what I could accomplish on my to-do list, all good things, all inspiring things. So you find me here at the end of a week. I am in Ohio. And as most people have probably heard, we had a, a, a huge tragedy last week, last weekend in Dayton, which is about an hour west of where I am. Shocking mass shooting in an entertainment district at the end of a Saturday night. And, you know, our... Our community is shocked and grieving and saddened and angry. And for me, I keep thinking that I just feel this sense of helplessness, almost like an impotence of what could I possibly do? What could any of us do? What should we be doing? who are the adults in the room to guide us on, on what's next? And, you know, it's a scary time here and still trying to live our lives and then honoring those who don't have the opportunity to live their lives anymore. And how do you do that? And, you know, so there's a lot of confusion here right now and a lot of sadness and grief and anger and sense of helplessness as well. And how do we navigate that? You know, those are the questions that are kind of swirling around. I've been thinking so much about you because of last weekend's tragedy in Ohio and about what the mood must be when something like this happens so close to home. And we know that there is tragic events happening all around the world. And we experience collective grief. All of us, we do. 
with this news culture, it's like every day you see something that saddens you. And I'm just so afraid of all of us becoming so desensitized. And then it happens so close to you and it must be feeling palpable. It it must be in the air. I mean, it is. And then there's also, like you said, there is a numbness to it as well that yet again, there has been a mass shooting in the United States yet again. And there is a numbness to it that, that breaks my heart when I tap into that, that, you know, I can remember how devastating Columbine was like how absolutely that just seemed to bring us to our knees. Now it's just like we have a Columbine every week or Columbine every other week and we go on and it doesn't seem to have the same effect anymore because of the frequency and, and there is that sense of numbness. And I see a lot of questions around the community. What can we do? What should we be doing? How can we help? There's a, there's a hashtag Dayton strong, you know, like Dayton strong, it will recover, it will survive. And how can we help Dayton and what should we be doing? And, and there was a real anger too this week. It became very divisive in, in parts of the community as well, because it became a political, a political thing. And, um, and that was, that's distracting to Mm -hmm. the, the facts that people died and, and that's infuriating too when when we become distracted by infighting and infighting about what to do next because people are so raw and so shocked and then numb and frightened and all the things so you know i don't know i don't know i don't know what to do personally i don't know what to do and I know as a community, we don't know what to do. And then as a state and as a nation, because I feel like if we knew what to do, we would do it and solve this problem. And we do get distracted with fighting each other as opposed to fighting the issues, what's causing this. And because of the recent events, you and I thought that we would talk a little bit about grief. We thought that it might be helpful this week you know, I get this is such a scary emotion to talk about and to imagine feeling. And for those of us who have dropped deeply into grief, and Amy, I know this is a big part of your story and you've been very open, you know, in, in the description of the offerings that we share together, you share that the tools that you teach have helped you in your journey from recovering from grief and burnout And so I know that you so generously are going to share a little bit of your journey through grief as we start diving a little bit more deeply into this conversation. And I think our listeners understand that whenever we share stories that we think will be helpful because there's a piece of learning on the other side of them, that we can only share our part of the story, stories that involve other people. Those are their stories to tell. So I know that you'll be mindful and you'll be honoring yourself as you do share. But we did think this might be a useful conversation. And that's what Amy and I are always thinking when it comes to this show is how can we be most useful? So for me, grief led to burnout. Grief was first. And by trying to 
manage or deny or ignore grief by overworking, by overdoing, by overachieving, that led to burnout. And I never examined grief until I hit a brick wall with burnout. And for me, I had for sure chronic grief, just grief from grief from my childhood, grief from my first marriage failing, grief from my second marriage failing, grief from failed opportunities, grief from relationships that didn't turn out the way I wanted them to turn out or dreamed that they would turn out. Grief from really feeling like I was kind of robbed of a sense of childhood. And I would never have said any of those things were a problem for me. (laughs) You know, I would have said, oh yeah, I, yeah, I had that thing and, but I'm fine now. I'm good. Or I worked through it or I moved on because time moved on. You know, we think if time moves on and we've physically survived something that we should be good, but not really honoring that we might've been hurt grievously, or we have lost something forever that we perceived as important to us. And for me to turn around and look over the, the decades of my life and say, yes, that broke my heart. And yes, that was wrong. What was done to me or yes, I need to go back and honor that person that I was at that time, because at the time I wasn't allowed to grieve. And I think we quantify grief. Like I had this happen to me, but it wasn't as bad as what happened to so-and-so or I, you know, had a, I had a childhood that was less than desirable, but so-and-so's parents died. Like, I think we, we try to minimize our grief by comparing it to somebody else's tragedy which isn't helpful. And I think part of what drew me to work in the emergency room is I was so immersed in tragedy and grief that I could compare. Well, my life isn't that bad. I didn't have this tragic accident. I still have use of my legs. I'm not in a coma. I didn't physically die. You can compare other people's tragedies, and then think that it makes you immune to your own grief or your own tragedy. Does that make sense? Oh, more than you know. I mean, if you could see me right now, I'm just nodding my head because I think we all do that. And and that's kind of a sneaky way that we're dissociating from our emotions that we're running from our emotions or or stuffing them away or minimizing them with some situations imagining feeling that immense emotion it would be so scary you would imagine that you would be taken under an emotion like grief as you're saying can be an opportunity and maybe this is just a a good moment as we're introducing talking about this conversation you and I have mentioned a book that was a textbook for a somatic coaching course that we took, the one where we met. And the book is The Language of Emotion by Carla McLaren. And uh, I don't agree with every single thing in this book, just just like every book that I've read, but 
I find it so useful because she offers emotions as guideposts and she offers different inquiry questions to ask yourself when you find yourself in the midst of an emotion. And even though it may not seem like a really fun topic to talk about grief, I think the best time to talk about tools and grief resilience and stories about others and their grief is when we're feeling more optimistic like you and I are today. When things are good, sometimes that's the best time to practice and consider what we might do when things are not so good. Because here's the thing about grief. We're all going to experience it. And we want to turn a blind eye to it. We very easily, of course, we want to distract from it. Feeling bad feelings, is that's some of the scariest stuff you're talking about when it comes to a lot of us. And we'll do a lot not to feel discomfort. A a lot of our psyche is really built around protecting ourselves from discomfort. And it takes a lot of strength to realize that the worst thing that can happen often is feeling really badly. But but this emotion, it can feel intolerable. It can feel really scary. And sometimes we do. We need support. We need to be around people that can hold space for us when we are in the midst of it. But Back to what Carla McLaren has to say about grief that I think might be helpful as we launch here is that it's a beautiful, languid, and powerful emotion that arises when death occurs, be it actual death or the death of profound attachments, ideas, or relationships. It doesn't simply bring water to you as sadness does because Carla mentions that when we're in the midst of sadness, we should think about water and our tears as a way of releasing what it is needs to be released. And she goes on to say, uh, it doesn't simply bring water like sadness. It drops you directly into the river of all souls. It transports you to the deepest places when you have no choice but to let go. When the loss of vital relationships or vital attachments feels like or is death itself. Grief will come forward in response to death, the end of a love relationship, the irretrievable loss of your health or well-being, the loss of a cherished goal or possession, or the stunning betrayal of your trust. Grief will also arise in response to never having had something we're all supposed to take for granted, like our health, strength, security, or happy childhood. It enables us to survive losses by immersing us in the deep river that flows underneath all life. If we can't move into grief, we'll only experience destabilization and dissociation in response to the shock of loss, injustice, inequity, and death. Instead of being cleansed and renewed in the river of all souls. And she goes on to talk about the experience of grief as a way of renewal, that when we do get to the other side, as we do, we can. It may not feel like we can when we're in the midst, but when we do get to the other side, you know, we're changed and we know more. And I, I, knowing you as I do and how grounded you are and wise you are and how many people in your life count on you 
I would imagine that a lot of that comes from being on the other side of some of what you've lived through. I would agree with that. When I first read what you just read to our listeners, it hit me so deeply. The way she described grief being this river of souls and how if you don't immerse yourself in the river, that your loved ones, if you're grieving somebody who has passed or your attachments, that they cannot move on, that you are not allowing them to be transported to wherever they're going to go through this river. It was just such a beautiful way she described it that by you grieving or by me grieving, that I am allowing and honoring my loved ones then to to move on to wherever they're going to move on. And if I don't grieve, then I am holding them here or I am dishonoring their memory. That really struck me. It's so crazy that you just said that. So next page, the paragraph that I starred and underlined, if you don't grieve your losses, the people who you've lost either get erased from your consciousness as if they were unimportant, or they hang around in your psyche as if you're being haunted. Neither position is honorable or logical. It's important to honor your departed person's life and truly let them go so that you can live more fully integrate your losses and deepen as a person? I think as a culture, we are not taught how to grieve appropriately. And I can definitely say that that was the case in my family of origin. I think I've mentioned before in this podcast that that I had a brother who died. And when he died, it was very controversial in my family how how my parents grieved. My my father really grieved deeply and openly and profoundly, and my mother did not openly grieve. And it was very confusing on what was the appropriate way to grieve because then there was discord between the two of judgment of how one is grieving and one is it is appears to be business back to business or somebody has to pull themselves up and get back to the business of life as far as work or making money. And, and so I think there, there can be a judgment on how others are grieving and how even in the hospital, how grief is so scary. It's so frightening, even to us who in the hospital saw it saw death all the time we would have somebody pass away and if the family became openly grieving like wailing or throwing themselves on the floor or just that profound visual loss it was frightening to to others around them including staff members of the hospital and they would call what we call a a code assist, which means some like a, a visitor or a staff member needs immediate medical attention. And so we would respond to the ICU thinking that there was a visitor that could be having a heart attack or, and they would, what they were doing was grieving. They were, you know, throwing their bodies around or screaming or what you can imagine to be natural grief. But it was so frightening, even to hospital workers, that they would want us to take that person away 
and take them to the emergency room and quote unquote, treat them. And my question at that time, as I had been moving through grief was, what do you want me to do? They're grieving. Like, mm-hmm. I can't stop what's happening to them, but it was so scary to everyone around them. Mm-hmm. And I think of like the funerals that I've attended and, you know, we would show up, we would put on our best, we would do our hair, we would, you know, make sure that we had the appropriate outfit on and we would put our shoes on and we would drive there and we would sit staunchly and we would be polite and quiet. And we didn't grieve like that. And what a difference that would have made to let that grief move through us as it was happening, as opposed to shove it down and ignore it or not acknowledge it and let it fester forever until we finally dealt with it. And then how is that honoring our loved ones that we maybe quickly and soon go back to business? So I found it fascinating to watch those around me, how they grieved and how different it was maybe culturally or even in my own family, how different family members grieved and then how how one form of grief would be inappropriate and one would be what was expected. And I learned that you grieved by going back to work. Mm-hmm. You might take a couple of days off. You might eat too much. You might lay in bed for a couple of days, but now it's time to get back to business, the business of life. And that had a real effect on me that I just, when I was grieving, whether it was the loss of my brother or it was the loss of a happy childhood, or it was the loss of a marriage or a loss of relationships that I had dreamed of turning out one way that didn't turn out like that. I was taught it's time to go back to work and you just keep going instead of honoring your broken heart and honoring that you might need to take a dive into the river of souls and just allow yourself to grieve for however long that takes. And once I finally did that, I felt all that move through me. I felt all of the pain and sorrow and things that I'd been holding on to or ignoring either way, one or the other, and came out the other end intact in such a a more beautiful way. I came out stronger. I came out more resilient. I, it, and it doesn't mean I didn't love my brother and it doesn't mean I didn't love my parents. And it doesn't mean that I should have stayed married because I shouldn't have, that I got divorced for very good reasons, but to honor that you can still grieve those things. And, and what I thought was being strong by not grieving was actually not being strong. And I am so much stronger now because I have grieved those losses. I mean, I would say a thousand times stronger because I have allowed myself to grieve, because I have allowed myself to dive deep into the river of souls and honor all of those parts of me and honor all of those losses and acknowledge those that those were losses to me to face those losses and say that was important to me or that person I loved deeply or 
that relationship I thought was going to be it or any of those things that I was grieving to turn around and not minimize them, but to honor what, what I thought they were or what they were to me and then to let them go and, and move through it. I don't think we can truly move on until we actually allow ourselves to grieve. And that has been the biggest healing of my life moving through grief and finally acknowledging it and working through it as opposed to resisting it and minimizing and ignoring it. I know that you'll only answer the part of this that you feel comfortable answering, but it sounds to me like once you embarked on a spiritual path or the path that you're on, however you like to refer to it, that you realize that there was much unprocessed material there that needed to be dealt with. Did you set aside time and move into reflection? Was it about journaling? Was it about taking the time to just feel? I I mean, the bravery itself, I think, to decide that, all right, I'm going to dive into this heavy, heavy emotion right now in order to process it, in order to finally let it out. Can you share you know, something that you actually did? It was definitely a process. It wasn't a one and done Mm-mm. kind of thing. It was something that I first noticed. I, it came as a surprise to me because I think I've shared before that I came to yoga because I wanted to be fit. I wanted a cute butt and everyone who did yoga looked a certain way and I wanted to look that way. So I thought, oh, yoga, I'll do that just for the physicality of it. And yoga really undid me in the beginning. It unraveled me and in a shocking way because I didn't know to expect that. I was uninitiated of the power and the effect and the healing effects of yoga. I liked my issues in a box on a shelf in the closet with the door shut and never to be dealt with again. And yoga came and ripped open the closet and threw the boxes everywhere and undid the stuff and said, you, you still have to deal with this stuff. It's still in the closet. It's still in the boxes with the lid on. And I know many of our listeners can relate to being in Shavasana and crying and not knowing why. And that was happening to me. I was releasing emotions in a, in a way that I didn't understand. I didn't, why am I crying? I just did yoga. Like, I don't understand what's happening. And beginning to release emotions brought me little glimpses of clarity. Remember that thing? That's still there. This is still living inside of you because you have not acknowledged it, processed it, moved on. And I wasn't ready for it at the time. I said, no, thank you. I'm good. I don't, I'll go back to the gym if it means feeling this pain. And so I broke up with yoga. Yoga and I broke up for a little while and and I was back to disassociating and being numb and working and running away from processing anything. And I, I had a teacher that would message me and say, where are you? Why, why aren't you here? And I said, I can't right now. I just can't. I can't do that. I feel crazy. I feel undone when I'm there. I feel like a fuck up. And 
And he said, we're all fucked up. That's why we do this. And it helps you to be not so fucked up. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll try that again. Because I, I, when I did have moments of clarity, when I did cry after Shavasana, I felt lighter. I felt like I had released something. I felt like I had healed a part of me. I didn't need, no need to, to be healed. So I, I got a taste of the medicine, but I needed somebody to kind of guide me that you can feel your feelings and not die from your feelings because I didn't trust that. I thought if I felt my feelings and I felt this grief, I would actually die. And to have a teacher guide you through the healing powers of yoga and meditation was such a gift to me because I don't know that I would have trusted that on my own. Mm -hmm. And so I did return to yoga and began to process things that I didn't even think were things anymore that I didn't even think were issues like, Oh, that's in the past. I'm over that. I'm fine. And they would come back and I would move through them. I would grieve them. I would journal. I would use mantras. I would honor myself. I know we have shared that I have a picture of myself in my bedroom of when I was like four before my heart was broken. And I would talk to her every day. And so it wasn't just one thing, but I think yoga was the medicine. And then yoga took me on a path of self-inquiry and, and then I wanted more. So then it was more yoga, more self-inquiry, more rituals as far as having a meditation practice, lighting a candle, having mantras that I would say, or self-affirmations moving through that and then not resisting even more would come up. We all have multiple layers to us and multiple things from our past or even from yesterday or five minutes ago that we might need to process. And so it's a, it's a daily thing now and cutting ties that don't serve me anymore and having boundaries and looking at relationships, whether they serve you or not and conversations and then what's mine and what's theirs and not internalizing other people's shit. And, you know, it's a constant practice now of just living, living an examined life. And, and when I feel like I'm living an examined life, I am able to tap into all the emotions really like grief Mm -hmm happiness, joy, sadness, anger. Anger's a good one. When I was resisting grief, I couldn't feel the other emotions either because I didn't allow myself to grieve. I also didn't allow myself to be happy because if I had allowed myself to be happy, I would just be waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. And then I would be, I would have more grief I'd have to deal with. So it's, it was, I wasn't very trusting to be happy because that's a that's a scary emotion to allow yourself to have sometimes because on the other side of happiness you might get your heart broken again and so i know that i wasn't feeling all the other emotions either i was very numb to everything or tried to be numb to everything because if i couldn't tap into grief i couldn't tap into anything else either 
yoga should have a warning label because the body does keep the score. And I don't know, I don't know if I've ever said it here to you, but same thing in my 20s, the first time I went to a class on my own, because I went to a couple with my mom. And of course, I didn't think I was getting enough exercise, but mm-hmm. I went to one of my own and I did cry. Mm-hmm. And I went and shared that with the teacher. And unfortunately, that teacher looked very frightened by <laughs> this <laughs> truth that I had shared with her. And so, of course, in that moment, that just validated the truth that I had about myself, that I was just way too much for people, that you know my, my shit was way too heavy for people. And so I just mm-hmm. ran from that studio and never went back again. And um, thankfully, thankfully, yoga found me again years later. Oh, my gosh. I thank my lucky stars for that. But we're on the mat and it's true that our experiences are a part of us. They're a part of our tissue. That's where the saying, the issues live in the tissues come from. And that's why you might be practicing yoga or really other movements too. And all of a sudden uh, an image will come to you or a memory will come to you. And often it is something that is unprocessed. It's, and yoga also shows us how we get physically stronger And I really believe that once we strengthen our vessel, it doesn't have to be on the yoga mat. It can be other ways that we prove to ourselves that we're stronger than we think. We prove to ourselves that there are feats of strength that we can manage and it doesn't even have to be physically. It's it's mental strength, really. And we're proven over and over again on the mat that we can live through being uncomfortable. It's such a huge lesson to live because we, again, we do so much to avoid discomfort and we've internalized that it's better to be happy and that we better be happy. You know, don't cry at work and stiff upper lip and don't show people, don't, don't show them that you're sweating, thicken that skin. You know, these are things that I've told myself my whole life. So we all have internalized that happiness is better and having a smile on our face is better. But yoga will show us the way because we're here with our body. And as we get stronger, then we also prove to ourselves that we can come to the other side of emotions. Now, something you also mentioned that I want to ask you about is you talked about grief and then how it affects other people. Mm -hmm. And some people like that yoga teacher that I went to are afraid of it. Mm-hmm. You talked about the emergency room, so much fear that they just want it out of sight. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for us to talk about what is required. I think part of the discomfort when we're with someone who is experiencing a big emotion is that we're afraid to say the wrong thing. Sometimes in order to display that we are empathizing, we might immediately turn it around to a way that we can relate and share a story about ourselves. And not that I think that's bad or wrong because we're, as human beings, we learn from each other's stories. From your perspective, having experienced what you've experienced, what did you need to hear from people around you when you were grieving? I needed to hear that it was okay to grieve in whatever form that was going to take that I didn't need to keep it all together. And I think there is a expectation that grief has a comfortable timeline 
for those around us. And we should stick to that timeline and then we should be done. And who knows what that timeline is? It, I have no idea. Is it two days or two weeks or two years? And, and I find that interesting too with different cultures. Take for example, I work in a large healthcare system and they give certain time off for deaths depending on who it is. So if you have a grandparent die, they'll give you one paid day off. If you have a spouse die, you get like three paid days off. It's, it is insanity. Wow. And yeah, it's insanity. And then after that, you should just use your vacation time or your sick. I think and we don't have differences between vacation and sick time. So we just use our time off, but they'll give us, they'll pay for, I think it's, I want to say when my brother died, I got two paid days off from the hospital. And then if I needed any more than that, it was going to, I was going to have to come up with that time on my own. And they determine that by the relationship the legal relationship you have to the person who died, which I think is insanity. Mm-hmm. And then if you take too long, you might get in trouble. And that's just the work environment. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that also goes into your friends, your family. We should grieve as long as it takes to get them buried and maybe clean out their house, deal with their stuff, maybe another week, and then it should be back to business as usual. And that's such a disservice to people to, to ask them to put one foot in front of the other when they're in that state. I think what somebody could have said to me is whatever you need, Mm -hmm. take it. And I think that would have shortened the amount of time I was grieving because I could have put myself into the river of souls and allowed myself to stay there as long as I need. But because I never stepped foot into the river of souls for so many years, I prolonged that grieving experience. So hearing whatever you need, or I'm here for you, Mm -hmm. or I'm with you. That's all you have to say. You don't have to say you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You're going to be fine. That's not helpful Mm -hmm. because in the moment or in the time, you can't tap into that where that that you can't tap into where it's going to be fine. You can't even perceive that it will ever be fine again. There's visuals of grieving that that you know there's a big squiggly mess yeah. on a piece of paper. Yeah. And people have this idea that that big squiggly mess goes is erased as you grieve. And that's not the case. You learn how to function again around the big squiggly mess or to fill in the spaces around the big squiggly mess, the big, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. The person that you lost doesn't come back or the relationship doesn't suddenly become whole again. You, you create a life around it. That's a process. And who knows how long that process will take. It's unpredictable. And it's so for me, I think just having somebody say, I'm here for you. Take whatever you need, whether it's time or energy. I have no expectation on how I'm expecting you to behave at this time. Mm-hmm. Because okay. I think we put, we put expectations on people on how they're supposed to behave when they're grieving. And that's that's unfair. And it, it may come from that empathetic place because we only see life through our own lens. 
and we imagine how we might be. But yeah, it's important to share that whatever one of our friends or loved ones is feeling, it's okay. And, and, and a space is held for that. And another touchstone in the face of the emotion of grief is the two questions that arise from it that come from Carla McLaren that we wanted to share today. And they're simple, but actually, if we allow ourselves to contemplate these questions, they bring up a lot that we would gloss over or that we wouldn't dive into because we'd be too scared. But the questions really are, what must be mourned? And what must be released completely? And it takes a little bit of thought because sometimes it's not so obvious. When when I think about the collective grief that everybody that has a television is experiencing when we watch the news about what recently happened in your beautiful state, what must be mourned? Well, it will seem obvious, those precious lives. But also, if you think about it, the fact that in an instance, everything can change, the fact that we can't count on each day being lived fully. We can't count on going to bed at night feeling happy and satisfied. You know, these are things that I, I also think must be mourned and and accepted. And what must be released completely. You know, sometimes it's not the actual person that we lost or the relationship that we lost, but sometimes it's the expectation of it or who we were because of it, or a certain aspect of ourselves that needs to be released, a certain belief that we held. So those two questions for me, and all of the questions and all of the emotions, this is a big tool that I use to navigate my own emotional well-being, is when I'm feeling it, to take a moment and ask myself and, and have a conversation with myself, because that's when the emotion, when we're ready, and when we're ready for sure, starts to teach us a little bit more about how we're seeing the world, about how we're showing up in the world. And if there's anything, if there's anything at all, and sometimes I can imagine you couldn't, you couldn't have one thing um, that you could take from it, but you will be changed after some of these deep emotions. Uh, and I think those questions are helpful. Mm -hmm. I do too. I do too. And they're simple questions, but they, like you said, they bring up a lot. And I think the answers can be surprising sometimes. I know for me, what had to be released in some instances was expectation. I had to release the person I was before. I had to mourn that. I had to mourn my own self, the person, the person that I was before I had loss is not the same person I am today and to mourn her that she's not here anymore mourn the idea of how I saw life ending up I think we have mm -hmm. <laughs> hopes and dreams and we have it all laid out and it's all planned and we can see it and envision it and to let that go sometimes can be something that we have to release completely and that can be a really hard thing to let go of Life maybe didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to turn out. When you talked earlier about diminishing our grief, I experienced deep grief when my daughter moved out of her childhood, the days of her in my lap, and 
the days of us together, lots of cuddles and lots of mommy-daughter time. And then when it shifted, I, I did have to move through some grief, yet I feel there is a part of me that felt undeserving of that because I know I'm lucky that my child is well. Mm-hmm. And so I do go down that road. To me, is going back to that we're quantifying. We're trying to say, well, my, my grief isn't so bad because it shouldn't be so bad or kind of diminishing that grief because my child's healthy. Mm-hmm. Instead of just honoring, I'm grieving that this is over. And I had to eventually, I had to give myself some time. And you're right, not a one and done, but I had to shed quite a few tears and sob those mother sobs. I'm sure every mom listening knows what I'm talking about. Just those specific body racking sobs that that sometimes need to be experienced in order to release. And And I do believe it helped me to open up to the human being that she is because you're right. We all have expectations about our what our relationships will be as parents. And we have expectations where whether we want to admit them or not about who our children will be. And that must be released completely in order mm-hmm. to open up to the child that we have, the human being that we have, and their beautiful individuality and our own unique relationship. Maybe not like one that I saw on television but full acceptance with what it is and then finding the beauty in what I have, not what I wanted when I had dreams of her um, when she was in my belly. So that it grieving it helped me to open up to who she is. And then we also talked about different stages of grief. And from my vantage point here in Canada, now, I'm also an American citizen. My daughter was born in the States and we spent and still spend a great time, a great deal of time in your birth country, in your country of residence. From my vantage point on the very bit of news channels that I will watch, I do see that grief is turning into anger. And, you know, underneath grief, And with grief comes fear too. And the question in fear is what action needs to be taken. And so there are people that are calling for action. And I did want to mention something on this show that I just thought might be helpful. Um, There are amazing people in this world who are living their dharma, they're living their purpose, and they're spending their days out there attempting to do what they believe is the right thing and, and showing up when tragedy is afoot. When other people would would look away or would run because it's too scary, they're running towards it, right? And Mm -hmm. somebody that I really value um, that I follow is Glennon Doyle. And she's created this organization called Together Rising. Now, I'm I'm not associated with it in any way, but what I can see about it is that she is just doing this organization is doing amazing work in this world. And so sometimes when it's like, what can we do? And then it feels so big, it feels so helpless that we feel immobilized. There's nothing we can do. How can we solve this big problem? Sometimes it feels really satisfying to support somebody like that, whether it's that organization or others that are doing good work in the world when it comes to something that breaks your heart. And I think that's their tagline. You know, they're they're showing up 
to what breaks their heart and they're creating real change. And every single penny that they raise goes towards creating real change. So I just wanted to give that organization a mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, she is doing, she and her organization are just doing amazing things in the world. And I'm glad that you brought them up. Well, I wish the entire state of Ohio peace. Me too. Me too. I've been thinking about you. And thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your journey with this big, scary emotion. My pleasure. I could talk about grief all day long. You have so much resilience now. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it, and it's something that we're, we all have in common. None of us are going to get out of here without experiencing it. This is true. This is true. If you have a heart at some point, it will break. So talking about it a little bit more and having the scary conversations, even if we don't say everything right, even if others don't agree with everything that we say, I think it's more important to attempt the conversation about the uncomfortable and the challenging and the hard rather as we said, to just take a stiff upper lip and talk about things that are a little bit sunnier. Right. I agree. Glad to be talking with you each week, my friend. Me too. Me too. All right. You have a beautiful weekend and uh, sending you love. All right. Love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.